Welcome to Threshold Church. Today's message is from Pastor Jake Kale. Weeks ago, it was a Monday, every Monday at five, right here in this room from five to six. We have a prayer meeting. We call it Praying in the Spirit because the primary focus is praying in tongues. We join together. Uh, usually there's eight to 12 of us, and we walk through the room. We pray in the Spirit. I might strum the guitar a little bit off and on. might sing in English. We might just worship. And then the last probably 10 or 15 minutes, we join toward the middle. We just continue to pray in the Spirit and intercede. And then if the Lord gives you anything, any interpretation or any words or, or in prayers in English, you pray it out. And uh, in one of those prayer meetings toward the end, we were all in that time of just praying in the Spirit and waiting on the Lord. And the Holy Spirit just dropped this word into my heart as I was sitting right here. The show is over. Four words. The show is over. And I knew it was the beginning of a word. I knew it was something God was wanting to speak. And so I just, over the last couple of weeks, as I've been chewing on it, and as I've been uh, praying into it, uh, I just believed I was supposed to release this here uh, for our church body and beyond. If you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 11. I believe that God is dealing with his church. I believe that God is in a process of cleaning house. Now, it's been, it's been a process for the last couple years, but I think it's starting to accelerate. There's an acceleration. There's, a, there's, there's times where, where God steps in in a clear way, in a direct way to bring cleansing to his temple, and I believe we are in one of those times as the body of Christ across this nation. I was drawn to Mark chapter 11. I've preached about uh, the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. I've preached about that story probably several times. But this time I was drawn to the fig tree. I was drawn to when Jesus spoke to the fig tree. He, he cursed the fig tree. He said over the fig tree, may you never bear fruit again. And I was drawn to that story. And I began to see that those two incidents, Jesus cleansing the temple, and Jesus declaring that word over the fig tree are actually very closely related. It's actually the same story. And in Mark's version, if you read, uh, at verse, starting at verse 11 to 20, we'll read some of those verses, you'll see that Mark goes back and forth from the temple to the fig tree to the temple to the fig tree. So he's trying to say something. He's intertwining those two stories together. In Mark chapter 11, verse 11, it says, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. This is right after what we call the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, where Jesus was riding on a donkey and everyone was saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And everyone's praising him. Everyone's worshiping him. I mean, this is like at the height of people's, of prominence for Jesus. If Jesus had a marketing director, he would have told him not to do what he was about to do. Because here he is at the height of his uh, prominence, at the height of his, you might say, popularity with the crowds. Everyone's praising him. Everyone's singing songs. Now, of course, you know, the Pharisees are upset about this, but that's always been the case. But all the crowds around Jerusalem and, you know, the children are praising him and they're, they're, you know, he, they're, they're, they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in verse 11, it says, right after this, it says that he goes into the temple. It says, when he had looked around at all things, he looked around at the temple. It's, it's, it's as if he was examining it. It's as if he was taking a close look. 
And it says, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So the triumphal entry, everyone's praising him. He goes into the temple and he gives it a close inspection. He looks around. But then the next verse, in verse 12, it says, the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So then he came to Jerusalem. They came to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple, began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? You have made it a den of thieves." The scribes, the chief priests, heard it. They sought how they might destroy him. It says they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. Verse 19 says, when evening came, he went out of the city. Verse 20, in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So temple, he goes in, he inspects the temple. He goes, he sees the fig tree. He tries to get fruit. There's no fruit. He speaks a word, you could say a curse over it, and declares it will never bear fruit again. It shrivels up from the roots. He goes into the temple, starts to drive out the people, starts to overturn tables. Doesn't let people do their business in the temple. And then they go back out and they see the fig tree again, withered. What in the world is going on here? I mean, isn't this a strange story? I mean, we, if, if you've read the Bible, you know the story. So, But think about this. I mean, here's at the height of his popularity, everyone's praising him. It, 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 from from, a, from a, just a cursory read of this, it looks like Jesus lost his mind. I mean, all of a sudden, he's pronouncing curses on plants. I mean, think about this. This is not, I mean, this is not typically what you would think of of Jesus. This is not, you know, you, you see Jesus healing people. You see Jesus having children run to him, and he's holding the children. He's blessing the children. But obviously, God has an intention for what happened in this story. This is not just Jesus having a bad day. This is not just Jesus having a fit of anger. Everything he did was in obedience to the Father. Everything he did was perfect. Everything he did, he said, I see, I do what I see the Father doing. No, no sin. This is not just Jesus losing it. This is not just Jesus having a bad day. This is intentional. This is the, this is, there's the heart of God in this. I thought it was so interesting. I, I, I had to study this out because... You know, you read that story about the, I was drawn to the fig tree, like I said earlier, and it was so interesting to me. It said that, you know, he, he saw it from afar, and he thought maybe there's fruit on it. He goes, there's no fruit. And it says it's not the season for figs. So you're like, well, the poor thing didn't have a chance, right? You're like, what? Like, so I, I did some research. I wanted to find out, like, what's the deal here? I don't know anything about figs. 
And I, I did some research, and what I found out here, I'll just, I'll just read this here. And multiple sources basically said the same thing. This one worded it really well. This is from Apologetics Press. It says, when Jesus approached the fig tree, the text indicates that the tree had plenty of leaves. R.K. Harrison, writing in the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, explains that various kinds of figs grew in Palestine during the first century. One very important aspect of fig growth has to do with the relationship between the leaf and the fruit. Harrison notes that the tiny figs known to the Arabs as taksh, I don't know if I'm saying that right, T-A-K-S-H, quote, appear simultaneously in the leaf axles. The taksh is edible and is often gathered for sale in the markets. Furthermore, the text notes, when the young leaves are appearing in spring, every fertile fig will have some taksh on it. That's the little edible figs. But if a tree with leaves has no fruit, it will be barren for the entire season. Thus, when Jesus approached the leafy fig tree, he had every reason to suspect that something edible would be on it. However, after inspecting the tree, Mark records he found nothing but leaves. No taksh, that kind of fig, were budding as they should have been if the tree was going to produce edible figs that year. The tree appeared to be fruitful, but it only had outward signs of bearing fruit, leaves, and in truth offered nothing of value to weary travelers. I believe that the fig tree in this story was symbolic. It's a symbolic picture, a prophetic picture of the temple, a prophetic picture of the religious system of the day. Because he tied it together with the cleansing of the temple. He put the two together. He went in to look at the temple looking for something, looking for fruit, looking for something that God was blessing, looking for something that was, that was pure, looking for something for what God intended. He didn't find it in the temple. He went to the fig tree looking for fruit, looking for something that was edible, looking for something that would nourish him. He didn't find it. The story of the fig tree was the story of the temple. Something that should have been producing fruit was not producing fruit. It wasn't yet the season for figs, but the presence of leaves would have indicated fruit. So here's what this is telling me. The fig tree looked good from a distance, but upon closer examination, it had no fruit. It was all show, no substance. It was all fanfare and flash, no fruit. It was hype. A bunch of leaves hiding the fact that there was nothing edible, nothing tangible, nothing fruitful being produced from this plant. A cloud without rain. That's what the book of Jude calls like false teacher. Clouds without rain. Fool's gold. Looks nice from afar, but if you put it under examination... It's fake. When I, when I was 
as I was reading this passage and studying this out and waiting on the Lord and praying into this, I just, I just believe that this is a picture of even where we are at in the church. Now, anytime you talk about, quote, the church, it can be hard because I'm, I, I'm making broad statements. I know it doesn't apply to every church, doesn't apply to every, and so I want to be careful, but I am speaking in broader terms today, I believe, of what God is doing with the church at large, especially in the West, especially in the American church. There are times when God steps in and begins to clean house. God will only allow the corruption of his house for so long. God will only allow the perversion of his word for so long. God will only allow things to go on in that way for so long. We can see throughout scripture, God's so patient. He is so patient. I mean, think about how patient he was that he put up with this stuff for all these years. Hundreds of years, you know, centuries of a perverted version of, of, of the law, of a perverted version of the temple, of them taking advantage of people, of them lording it over people, of them abusing people. I mean, God is so patient, but once the time's up, he steps in and says, okay, enough is enough. Now I'm coming in. And I believe we're in a time like that. I believe this, over this past year even that God has been exposing the condition of the church. He's bringing things to light not, so that he can cleanse, so that he can prepare because he wants to release a greater glory. He wants to do something. Of course he does. He wants, to, he's, he's, he wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to bring in harvest. He wants to pour out revival, right? We know those things. Those are the things that we want. But he's not gonna do it into a broken system. He's not going to do it into a corrupt system. How much, I just have to wonder, how much are, are we, are, you can apply this personally, our personal lives, or you can apply this to you know, the church. How much are we like the fig tree? All show, no substance. All leaves, no fruit. Right? How much have we been like that? You know the first mention of a fig tree in the Bible? Of a fig leaf? Some of you get it. Genesis 3. First mention of the fig leaves. They used it to cover their nakedness after they had fallen. After they had sinned. Here's, here's how I'm applying this and interpreting this. Jesus is looking for fruit from his church. And from a distance, everything looks great. I mean, think, think about how is it possible to have churches that are in the thousands, to have churches that are, you know, growing, to have numerical growth happening, to have people, you know, gather, all this stuff happening, but, but society is decaying, right? How is it possible? How is it possible? Now, I know everything's crazy right now. Number, who knows what numbers are? Church is growing, and I think that's part of what God's doing in, in this cleansing. But how is it possible? Is it possible that so much of what we have been doing, so much of what has been built is just like the fig tree, the appearance of success has taken the place of lasting fruit. The appearance of success 
Jesus, as he goes on in this story, right, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've turned it into what? A den of thieves. This is one of the reasons why we emphasize prayer so much. This is one of the reasons why we emphasize personal prayer, the secret place, encountering God, connecting with God. This is one of the reasons why we we emphasize prayer meetings, gathering together in prayer as the people of God. Because here is the truth. If you take prayer out of the equation, you actually take God out of the equation. When When you disconnect prayer, prayer is the means that God ordained for us to connect with him. And so a prayerlessness says, God, I don't need you. A prayerlessness says, God, I don't have much desire for you. And so when you take prayer out of the equation, you actually begin to take God out of the equation. Not not because God's not sovereign, not because God's not everywhere, but that's because that's how God ordained it. He, He ordained prayer as a means by which we are to connect with him, by which we are to ask of him, by which we are to partner with him to see his kingdom advance. And so when prayer gets squeezed out more and more and more, it's as if we're saying, God, we don't need you, we have this. And here's the reality. When you take God out of the equation, when you disconnect from God, becoming a den of thieves is just the inevitable result. Because we're not meant to be without God. We're not meant to function without God. When you disconnect from your creator, when you disconnect from your source, corruption is the inevitable result. People don't go into ministry to be corrupt. Some do. Some do, actually. But many times people don't. Many times people go in to serve. They go in with the right heart. They go in. But if you disconnect God over the course of time, over the course of years... It will evolve or devolve, I should say, into a corruption. So what do I mean when I say the show is over? What, 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 here's what I believe the Lord means because it was a word he, he dropped in my spirit. The show is over. The The basing our success on the outward appearance, the basing our success on what the world would call success, the basing our success on anything except for obedience to God, God God's closing it down. God's closing it down. One of the most deceiving ways to measure success in the Western church is by numerical growth. Because it gives you a false sense of success when things are growing. Now, I'm not against big, I'm not saying every big church is bad, every small church is good. You can be a huge church, huge, and be right on track, right on point. You can be a really small church and be off. So it's not like good, uh, big is good, bad, small is good. But what's wrong is measuring success on numerical growth. Because once that becomes the standard, then everything shifts to how can I grow my church bigger? How can I get more people in the pews? How can I get more people in the seats? How can I, what can we do to attract people? You've literally just gotten out of order. You've literally just become more concerned with how can I attract people than what is God saying? What is God doing? How is God moving? What does obedience to him look like? 
Are we making disciples? Are we seeing lives transformed? Is there lasting fruit? Or is it just this big machine that has to keep turning and churning and growing? The end of the entertainment model. We've had an entertainment model of church. Did you know that? We've had, a, we've had a model that said, if I can attract more people, because it's based on numbers. So how can we get more people to come? How can we get more people to be excited, right? So it's entertainment model. That's why sometimes it feels a little bit weird when we get you guys to pray out loud or to participate or to, because we're so used to sitting there watching, aren't we? We're so used to just being entertained. We're so used to just sitting and receiving and absorbing. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're, we're going to change that. <laughs> I've said this before. You are not an audience to be entertained. The saints are not an audience to be entertained. It doesn't say entertaining the saints. It says equipping the saints. God doesn't give ministers to entertain you. God doesn't give preachers to tickle your ear. God doesn't give preachers to perform. It's not a performance. You know, Chad talked about this last week as it relates to worship and how the pendulum can swing different ways and how, how you know, Chad, Chad made this comment. He said, you know, sometimes, you know, there's this kind of these fads, you know, kind of programming everything and everything's timed, everything's this. And Chad, Chad was, he was, he was being really nice. He said, you know, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm against that, but I whispered to Sarah, Chad's wife, I said, I am. Because you're not a spirit-filled church if you've programmed the Holy Spirit right out of your services. You can't be a spirit-filled church, a spirit-led church, a spirit-empowered church, and then program your service to such a degree that every little minute is account, every second is accounted for. That's not a spirit-filled church. Just because your doctrine statement says you're spirit-filled doesn't make you spirit-filled. Should there be structure? Yes. I believe there should be structure. Should there be order? Yes. Should we quench the Holy Spirit? No. Should we plan the service so tightly that there's no room for the spontaneous? No. God, God combines structure with spontaneity. They're both important. See, the reason why the entertainment model is so attractive is because it actually works. In other words, it actually does often attract crowds because people like to be entertained, right? But what, what good is it if there's no fruit? What good is it if there's no fruit? So when I, believe, when, when, when I say God is saying the show is over, I believe he's pulling back the curtain. I believe he's not going to allow corruption in his house. I believe he's putting his finger on things. I believe he's saying it's the end of man-made systems and models of church growth that show promising leaves but no actual fruit. I believe it's the end of the entertainment model of church. I believe it's the end of celebrity ministry and celebrity Christianity. How, how did this happen? How did ministry become like about fame or about 
entitlement, about money. See, the, the, maybe it's a benefit, I don't know. See, I, I've had the benefit of being on the inside of, of some things. That can be a blessing, but also can be very difficult. Because I've, I've been, I've been, you know, years ago, I was, I was at a church, different state, and the model was more the entertainment model. And I was, God had led me there. God had led us there. We were serving youth pastor, young adult pastor. Um, but we couldn't stay forever. We, we couldn't stay. We could, there came a point in time where it, w- it would have been compromising convictions to have stayed in the role. When everything became about the show, the program, the numbers, how many people were there, who's, who's, what's the giving. The, uh, everything became, every, and these aren't necessarily bad people. God knows the heart and the motive. I think a lot of even good people have gotten caught up in that system because they think that's just how it's done. It's just how you have to grow a church. It's just how you have to go. I think the average Christian would be shocked to know some of the mindset, some of the mentality, whether it's the models of church or whether it's the, the mindsets related to itinerant ministry and traveling preacher. You would be shocked to know that some of the most well-known you know, preachers require a certain amount of money if they're going to come and speak at your church. In the thousands, in the tens of thousands. Is that shocking? Like, can you, could you, could you actually imagine Jesus? Well, I can't go to Samaria because it's too small of a crowd. The offering better be at least this much. The honorarium better be at least this much. I don't, I, I don't know how it, like, how it got there. Like, what in the world? We're seeing, we're seeing different things being exposed. And the exposure is not fun, but it's necessary. I, I debated how much to say. I'm still debating how much to say. Even when it comes to recent things that have happened. That I, again, I believe is an indication that God is judging his house in order to clean his house, in order to prepare his house for how he wants to visit his house. We're seeing the church is being rocked by different types of exposures. Two, just in the last couple months, have been you know, brought to light. See, when it's, when it's an exposure, it's different than a moral failure. It's, an exposure is, is a revealing of something that's been happening for long periods of time. Not just a person that fell into sin and then they confessed it and they, they came into the light and they repented of it. It's two different things. So I, I don't say those things to try to like be a judgmental critic 
of some of the ones, but, but it brings it to light. One of the most prominent churches in New York City just had a major exposure, Hillsong, New York. And, and the, you know, the, the, the pastor in my, now I never followed him. I don't hardly know much about him. I don't, say, I don't say stuff like this unless A, it's credible. B, it's already public. So it's not like, oh, we're just bringing this out to, to air dirty laundry. It's not about airing dirty laundry. But I believe it's a signpost of what God's doing. It's a signpost that God is saying the show is over. Because this, you couldn't get a better show in town. This, this in my opinion, the church was built on the entertainment model on the celebrity model, and just a, a major exposure of, of infidelity, of what appears to be ongoing issues and, and multiple other situations. We don't know all the details yet, but it was brought to light just a couple months ago. And we, we've had this mindset that if we can be close enough to the world, then we can attract the people of the world, right? Or if we can win over you know, celebrity people, because there's a bunch of, you know, different celebrities that would go to this church. And listen, God loves celebrities. God wants to save celebrities. That's awesome. But what are we saving them with? What are they getting saved to? And if we have to compromise to reach, then we're not saving anybody. God doesn't need Justin Bieber to save America. God loves Justin Bieber. Does, God wants him on a right path. God wants him walking. Yes, God, we, we have this idea, oh, if only, if only Justin, if only, you know, this or that person. Well, God used, yes, but we've had such a wrong mindset of how God works. I mean, look what the Apostle Paul said. He said, not, not many of you were prominent. Not many of you were wise in this age. Not many of you were well-known. He said, God chose the weak things of the world to confound the wise. God chose the base things of the world to confound the proud. And we flipped it on its head. So that was one major exposure that happened. And then just in the last couple of weeks, there's been something else. And this, is, this was shocking. Because this person was well-respected across denominations across multiple streams. He had passed away earlier this year. He was, um, I'll just say his name. He's passed away, Ravi Zacharias. He was well known as the, the, the best apologist of all, you know, of, the, of our time period. He's called the great apologist. And there had been some stuff that had kind of happened a couple years ago and it just kind of got, you know, um, it seemed like it was resolved or seemed, you know, but now there's, now his, his own ministry put out a statement just uh, a week or two ago that they actually hired an independent um, firm to investigate some of the allegations that had come out. And they said that they gave an interim statement. They're going to make a full statement in, in January or February. But they said that they can confirm that the allegations were true and that there was sexual misconduct over the period of many years and that the person he presented himself to be was not the same person who he was. Now that, that was like shocking. And why, you know, just watching people, you know, people's responses, people's just navigating through all that. It's hard because you, on one hand, you don't want to, 
be the, 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 the stone-throwing, you know, ju- judgmental, condemning person. On the other hand, you see this, oh, well, that's just, you know, we're all human, and we all just, we all make mistakes, and you're, you just kind of see like this, no, like that's not okay. That's not, that's not just because you're human. When you're a believer, you can no longer use the excuse that you're just human. And there's a difference between living a lie and stumbling in sin. Some people are false teachers because they teach a lie. Some people are false teachers because they live a lie. And if you read the definition of a false teacher in Matthew 7 and in 2 Peter 2 and 3, it, it talks about these very types of things. People that are after money, people that take advantage of people, people that are after sexual immorality and their eyes are full of adultery. This is serious stuff. This is not just, well, you know, just he's just like anybody else and... This is like serious, serious stuff. But I believe God is using stuff like this to get our attention. Because here's the, here's the thing. It's not the first time we've had situations like this. We've had different rounds of this type of stuff. Back in the 80s and you know, nine, there's been different rounds and different. But it seems like we're in a time over the past two years. I've seen more things like this. More like ministers, big name ministers, well-known ministers. In different circles, charismatic circles, prophetic circles non-denominational circles, all types of, it seems like in the past two years, it's like there's been an exponential amount of these things coming to light. Why? God's trying to get our attention. God's trying to get our attention. He wants to, he wants to end the celebrity culture from two sides. One, from the standpoint of those who minister, And two, from the standpoint of those who are in the church who receive. And both sides. Because God does raise people up. He does. God does give people measures of influence. And he calls them to steward different sizes of influence or, you know, platform, right? God does raise people up. God does put his hand on people. God does anoint people. But why does he do it? Why does he do it? If it ever starts to become about meeting, getting your needs met through this outlet, you're, you're going on a wrong track. You're going on a wrong track. And then on the other side, if it ever gets to the point of idolatry, of, of putting a person on a pedestal, putting a minister on a pedestal, putting a... Um, a prophet, a teacher, a pastor, whatever it is. We were, we were, we were, our, our team was debriefing about the Jeremiah Johnson event, which was very powerful. It was an awesome weekend a month ago maybe now. I guess it was a month ago, man. It was a powerful weekend. We were debriefing as a team, and um, one of our staff who's in our admin, she was like, man, I was, she was getting all these phone calls, people, you know, and, and it got to the point where we had to close down registration. And she said she was getting these phone calls. These people were so, they were so desperate. And they're like, you know, I have to be there. And, you know, Jeremiah's da, da, da. And, and she said, 
Well, guess what? After this weekend, Jeremiah is not going to be in your room with you, but Jesus is. I was like, good job. Good job. And can't we do that? Like, and, I, and again, there's this balance because God uses people. God speaks through people. God ministers through people. But we've got to find the way to get it out of that realm of this celebrityism. I believe we're coming to the end of elevating gifting, elevating external gifting at the expense of internal integrity. Two people clapped. Come on now. <laughs> elevating external gifting at the expense of internal integrity. God is highlighting integrity. God is highlighting purity. Integrity, it means whole. It means you're a whole person. It means you're the same person in public and in private. It means you're the same person outside and inside. It means you're not living this duplicity. You're not living this way where, where you, you portray this persona, this outward persona, because you want, to, you want, you want people to see this, this show, but, 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 but actually you're living a completely different way. It doesn't mean perfection. It means you walk in the light, though. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means that you walk in repentance. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means you're, you're single. You're not living a double life. You're not living two-sided. And here's the thing with gifting. Gifting is important, but it can be deceiving. Because God can give a person a gift, and that gift can operate. And that person can get off track. That person can begin to go into sin, but his gift still operates. And it can be deceiving. It's self-deceiving because you can think that the gift operating in your life is God's validation on your life. And it's not the case. The gifts of God are without repentance. That means that God doesn't take the gift away. It is, that can be dangerous. David Ravenhill wrote a book called Surviving the Anointing. He said when he was in Bible school, his first year, one of his Bible teachers, his professors uh, said, very few people survive the anointing. That is scary. That is, that is scary. Do you know that if I can preach from a platform, first of all, think about this. This is what, one hour in a week. One hour in a week. So I can, I can stand up here, I could preach a message, I can, you know, teach the word, I can preach the word, but then I have all these other hours in the week. If I'm not loving my wife, if I'm not loving my kids, I am disqualified from standing behind this pulpit and preaching the word of God. God cares much more about your integrity than he does about your gifting. We have to bring this back into balance. We absolutely, this is not against gifting. Gifting is so good. I want more gifting. He said, pursue spiritual gifts. Yes, absolutely. But he said, without love, the gifts are nothing. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. The pure in heart see God. There's only one superstar in the kingdom of God. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There, that's it. There's only one superstar. We have to get the attention on to Jesus. This is why we have to be committed to the secret place. For, as me, for me as a preacher, for, for any believer, we have to be committed to devotion in the secret place. I believe it's one of the primary things that keeps us grounded. It keeps us rooted. It keeps us on the right track. It keeps us from going to the right or the left. This is why I preach this all the time. You're going to hear me say it all year. I've said it for the last 70 years. I'm not going to stop saying it. Because it's being, it's, 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 when you're in the secret place, it, nobody's watching you. Nobody's applauding you. It's you and God. It keeps us grounded. It keeps us real. See, here, we, we have a human tendency to look at the outward appearance, don't we? I mean, didn't Prophet Samuel even fell for that? I mean, Prophet Samuel, he saw David's oldest brother. He was going to anoint the king, and he saw the oldest brother. He said, surely this must be the Lord's anointed. He looked the part, and God said, nope, I didn't choose him. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God was just making a statement there. He was just saying, that's just what we do. If we go with our own human tendencies, man looks at the outward appearances, God looks at the heart. So we have to be intentional in the spirit of God to, to actually flip that and not only look at the outward appearances. We have a tendency to look at the outward appearance. We have a tendency to put people on pedestals. That's just what we have a tendency to do. You know, Jesus, of all people who could have been put on a pedestal, he didn't let himself. People tried to make him a human king while he was in his, it wasn't the right time. He had to get away. What did he do, though? He went to be alone with the Father. That was how he avoided that temptation. He went to be alone with the Father. What if everything that's happening in this, this past year, now we're going into this new year, what if all that's been happening, the church is closing down and shutting their doors and all this shakeup that's going on, and all, what, what, if, what, if, what if it's God cleaning house? What if it's God saying the show is over? What if God is saying I'm coming to my house like a refiner's fire to bring cleansing, to bring purity? Not because it's a condemning word, but out of God's love, he brings correction. Out of God's love, he brings cleansing. I believe Jesus' heart was broken when he went into the temple, when he flipped over the tables, when he cleaned house. I don't believe, well, I know it's, he, wasn't, he wasn't having an angry fit. We know that. I wouldn't be surprised if he was in tears. I wouldn't be surprised if he was just heartbroken at the way that God's house had been perverted, the way God's house had been corrupted. And I actually think 
This sounds, this doesn't sound like a very positive uh, thing to say, but I actually think the condition of the church is far worse than we, ever, than we actually realize. Because we see all the leaves and so it looks fruitful. But when you start to get down to it, I mean, I think these, these types of exposures are, again, they're signposts. They're like, wow. Do you think that could have happened in the church of Acts? I'm not saying, I mean, the early church had its, had its issues, especially as time went on. You see Paul writing letters and he's correcting all kind of crazy stuff. I get it. But I'm telling you, the type of discernment they walked in was something that we need to get to. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't get in. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't get past Peter. Peter and Paul, I mean, they saw through the show. They saw through it. I mean, Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 has what looks like a good conversion. I mean, he's baptized, he's following, he's following Philip, he's, he's a, but he was, a, he was attracted to the power. He was attracted to the power. And so when he sees Peter and Peter and John come and they're laying hands and the Holy Spirit's falling on them and, and he says, oh man, this is great, lay hands on me so, so I can have the same power too. I have a feeling in today's church we would have said, awesome, here, take it. Wouldn't we? Isn't that, I mean, Peter saw right through the hypocrisy. He saw something. He said, your heart is full of iniquity. It's bound. So he needed to repent. So it's, it's, it's going to take us going against the grain. It's going to, this is not going to happen by accident because it's been ingrained. And I, again, I believe this whole season we've been in is an opportunity for a, a reshuffling, a, a resetting, a reforming. Because God's not just out after revival, he's after reforming. It's a time of reforming. And it's going to take an intentionality of, of getting out of mindsets. Just like getting out of the mindset of coming to church only to spectate or only to receive, or only to be an audience, right? And so we're going to have to be intentional. That's one of the reasons why even last week, you know, I said, hey, if, if, if anyone needs encouragement, raise your hand. And I said, all right, now, now go find somebody that has their hand raised. Go pray for them, right? Because we, we need to be active. We need to be doing things, not just, not just listening. But that's going to take intentionality. It's going to take intentionality. Maybe I need to preach less. I don't know. We got a lot of good preachers. Because I don't, I don't want it to be like Jake preaches every week, which I don't anyways, but maybe we're going to have more prayer. Not maybe. So as I was just kind of chewing on this word, pondering this word, uh, and then I was trying to connect it to the fast. This, this, you know, we're, we're coming into this 21-day fast, and we're coming into a time of um, just consecration. We like to start the year with this focus, prayer, and fasting. And uh, the theme, I felt the Lord gave me this theme, stand firm. 
And um, I had this, you know, I had this scripture, Ephesians 6, talks about the armor of God, you know, stand firm, therefore. And, um, but then just like two days ago, Anna was sharing, well, we were having like a family prayer time, and she was, I think she was sharing, we were saying like it was like your verse of the year. Uh, she was sharing like, yeah, I think my, my, my verse of the year is Daniel uh, 1132. Uh, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And I said, wait, did that verse say stand firm? She said, yeah. I said, I'm taking that. <laughs> that, right, that verse actually portrayed what, what I believe, when, when, when God gave me that word stand firm, that verse, that, that sentence just summarized exactly what I felt like God was trying to communicate through this fast. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Different translations, the, uh, the New King James says that those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. And so I don't believe the standing firm is just a hunkering down to avoid being taken out. I believe the standing firm is actually leads to an action and doing exploits. But notice that it starts with knowing their God. There's a progression there. The only way we can stand firm is if we know our God. We are in a time where it's not enough to know about God. You have to know him. We're in a time, it's, it's, it's not enough to have a secondhand relationship with God. What is a secondhand relationship with God? It's a relationship with God that's based on somebody else's relationship with God. We, we cannot afford to have a secondhand relationship with God. Every single one of us needs to have your own personal relationship with God, your own personal revelation of God. I don't just mean you said a prayer one time for salvation. I mean you know your God. Do you know how easy it is to live off of a secondhand relationship? We feed off of other people's stories. We feed off of other people's testimonies. We feed off of other people's revelation. We feed off of other people's books. None of that is bad if it's only supplemental. That cannot be our primary, right? Every single one of us, we will need a personal re revelation of God, a personal relationship and connection to God. And then when you know your God in that way, that will position you to stand firm. That's when the root systems are built on the rock. That's when you're founded on him. That's when you're not shaken, tossed to and fro by different winds of doctrine or by different trials or by different storms. Because you know your God, so you're steadfast, you're firm. Those who know their God will stand firm. Now the context of that passage, by the way, is, is talking about... Um, different kings, different evil kings, different evil rulers. It's kind of like an end time passage, to be honest, because verse 31, it says, forces from him, speaking of this evil king, shall appear and profane the temple and fortress. They shall take away the regular burnt offering. They shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Jesus referenced that in Matthew 24. He said when they set up the abomination that causes desolation in the temple, he's talking about different end time. And I know there's different interpretations of all that, but just hear what I'm saying with this. He's talking about t difficult times. He's talking about times where there's evil rulers. He's talking about all that. He says he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God. He's saying in the midst of different chaos, in the midst of upheaval in the religious system, in the midst of upheaval in political systems, in the midst of all this that's going on, it's those who know their God that will be able to stand firm. 
but they'll also take action because this is not a time just to hunker down and hide. We've been saying this over and over again. It's time to arise and shine because we, Jesus said we're the light of the world. So this is not a message of despair. I'm so happy that the show is over. I'm so hungry for something real. I don't want anything phony. I don't want anything hype. You know, the presence of hype is the absence of God. The presence of hype is a primary indication of the absence of the presence of God. Why would you need hype if you had God in your midst? One of the reasons why we've, we've, we've had such that the entertainment model is because God is nowhere to be found. Can you imagine if Jesus was your guest speaker on Sunday? Can you imagine if the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh was going to be your guest speaker on Sunday? And before he came up to preach, you had a concert. You had a laser light show. You had a fog machine. Uh-oh. I got in trouble one time on Facebook because I said, would we need the fog machine if we had the glory cloud? That was all I said. I said, just, just thinking out loud here. I got in trouble because, you know, people were like, wow, but that's just, you know, blah, blah, blah. it's the mindset behind it that's the problem. It's the mindset behind it that says in order to attract people, we have to do all these things. And I guarantee you, if the Lord Jesus Christ was your guest speaker on Sunday, you wouldn't be worried about how to attract a crowd. So what does that tell me? How much of the presence of God is actually in our midst? Me, I speak that to myself. I speak that to us. How much of the presence and glory of God is actually in our midst? Or a better way to say it, how much more does God want to, how much more does God want to do? How much more does God want to reveal of himself? Let's put it in the positive way. How much more does God want to do? How much more of God's spirit does he want to pour out? How much more of his manifest presence? But we, we have to, we, you have to come to the place where you, you refuse to settle for anything less. You refuse to settle for leaves without fruit. You refuse to settle for the, the cheap substitute of the real. And that means, God, I'd rather have nothing than the show. And if we have to wait, if we have to pray, if we have to seek, if we have to pursue, if we have to fast and pray, if we have to just be obedient, whatever that is, I'd rather have nothing and be obedient to God than have the show that looks great, but in the end it burns up. This is, this is a great time to be alive. 
God is raising up his remnant. God is raising up people. God is actually calling people out of systems. There is an exodus out of systems of man. I don't say that as a way to say, oh, come to this church. No, just find somewhere where, where, you, where, where God is moving, where, you, where the Holy Spirit's allowed to flow. It's, it, it is time for the remnant of God's people to come out of systems that are not built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus. It is time for that. So Daniel 11, 32, it had three facets, right? Know God. We must know God for ourselves. Firsthand, stand firm, must be rooted, rooted in his word, rooted in his love, rooted in our, that place with him. But then it says they take action. God's going to be releasing people to action. But, but that's the order. It's consecration first, activation second. We've majored on active, activating without consecrating. And he's saying you know your God, that's consecration, that's knowledge of God, that's, and then you're rooted in him, and then it's time to arise and shine, it's time to take action. I want us to stand to our feet, because now I'm preaching too long. I had a sense that God wanted to do stuff personally and corporately today in, in response. And Chad, I want to have you just come just to uh, be on the keyboard. I believe that, I know I, know I kind of focus this message a lot more on the broader picture of, of, of you know, the church at large and you know, broad things like that. But I believe God is saying the same thing to us as individuals. Hey, the show is over. Guys, we can't fool God. You, you just, you know, it says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. We can fool other people. We can even fool ourselves. God is not mocked. There's an invitation to be real. That's an invitation to take off the mask. There's an invitation to let the facade, any, just the facades, the the show, the outward portrayal. I'm not saying you have to try to find things wrong with yourself. I'm just saying we just need to be real. It's time, it's time, to, it's time for, for being real. So I believe that there's an invitation over these next 21 days as we're kicking off this time of prayer and of fasting. I want to encourage you to ask the Lord how you are to fast in these 21 days. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that involves humbling ourselves to depend on God and denying self to prioritize the spiritual. Fasting is not always fun in the moment because if you're like me, you like to eat. but it does something in us. It's not about just trying to twist God's arm to get something from God. It's humbling ourselves to rely on him. It's positioning ourselves to be in a place of dependence on the Lord. And it's, it's, it's denying that, that flesh. And I want to encourage you over these next 21 days, again, ask the Lord how you are to, to, to pray and fast. 
Get involved in a prayer gathering that we have happening throughout the week. And maybe you'll fast the whole time and you'll, 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 you'll some people fast all solid foods the whole time. Some people fast the Daniel fast. They, they cut out meats and sweets. Sometimes people, they pick one day a week. I'm going to fast. I'm going to only have water, you know, this day during the week. Or I'm not saying you have to, it's, it's not formulaic. But take this time as a time of refocus, of reconsecration, of, of preparation, so that we can, be, we can be the fulfillment of that word, of knowing God, standing firm, taking action. I believe that that verse literally is not just a verse of the year for Anna. I believe it's a verse of the year for Threshold. Yeah. It's, a, it's a defining verse for where God wants to take us. Into the knowledge of God, into a firm place, and into a taking of action, obedience. Stepping out to do what God calls us to do. As an elder team, we're going to be seeking God. We actually have an all-day meeting, like a retreat day, one day this coming week. So pray for us. Pray for us. We're meeting from 9 in the morning till about 6 or 7 at night, I think. Um, just seeking God's face together, praying, waiting on the Lord, um, discussing, having conversation about vision and big picture and direction because we believe that God's going to be speaking during this time, during this fast. So as an elder team, we're going to be getting together and seeking God's face and praying. And um, my, my plan is at the end of this month, the last Sunday of the month is January 31st, is to, to kind of release a, a word that's going to be kind of a bit more vision of what's, what is God saying coming out of this time. The next few weeks here are going to look a little bit different. We're not going to have a planned message. If we do, it's going to be really short, like a 10-minute springboard. We're going to be doing, we're going to be worship and pray. These next three weeks during this fast, we're going to be doing a lot of worship. We're going to be doing a lot of prayer. We're going to be setting that tone of ministry to the Lord comes before ministry for the Lord. So I want you to do this. I want you, we're going to have two types of responses. The first one is personal, and the second one is going to be corporate intercession. So we're going to take maybe five minutes on each. So I want you to take time to respond just personally to anything that the Lord's highlighting to you, anything the Lord's showing you, anything that he's putting his finger on. This is a time of consecration, which means setting yourself apart to God himself, giving yourself to him, putting yourself in his hands. And so, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I ask for your Holy Spirit, God, to take your word, God, to apply it to specific parts of our lives to give us your direction. Because Jesus, just like you're cleaning house in a large way, you're also doing it in a personal way. You said that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Just begin to invite Jesus to come with cleansing, to come with a cleansing. Jesus, I invite you into this temple. I am your temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. I invite you to come with a fresh cleansing. Lord, that there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to you, if there's anything in my life that you're putting your finger on, God, if there's any way that I've just been putting on the show, that you're putting your finger on those areas, I want you to take just the next three or four minutes and just between you and the Lord, just have some time in the secret place. 
that helps to sit, sit, to kneel. If you want to come to the altar, come to the altar. Any way, that's, any way that helps you respond. invite the Holy Spirit to do a deeper work of sanctifying. Sanctify, it's a very you know, technical, theological word. It just means to make holy, to make pure, to, to purify. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my heart as a purifying fire, as a cleansing fire. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us even about this upcoming fast, God, these next three weeks? Would you speak to us about how you're leading us to be involved, how you're leading us to, to fast, God, how you're calling us? If there's days of the week, Lord, you're calling us to, to fast and to pray extra times, God. If there's gatherings, you're calling us to join together in. Father, in our homes, in our families. God, we don't want a, a type of Christianity that looks good outwardly. It looks good when we put on our, our Sunday best, but it's not working in the home, God. We want the real thing, God. We want, we want what, what is real, God, what is substance, God, what is integrity, Thank you, Father. Just about one more minute here, and then we're going to transition into some prayer, some corporate prayer, just intercession.
Father, I thank you for an opportunity just for a fresh resetting, Lord, of our hearts and our minds, God, of a call to coming to that place, Lord, of dependence on you and of first love, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We're going to have some time of just uh, of joining in some groups and just really just going, going after some intercession here. I just realized as we were waiting on the Lord there, I just, I feel like throughout that message, I, I, I almost felt awkward. I almost felt like I was like, and again, my wife, Anna, she, uh, she was praying for me, I think last night, she said she had this picture of, uh, for this message of like a missile, like being shot out of being like, it being like, almost like going outward of this message. And I, as I was just waiting on the Lord, I just kind of realized like this message really wasn't for you. It's for us, but I'm like preaching to the choir here. Like you guys know that. You guys know this stuff. You guys, you guys, you guys are here because you want what's real, not because pat yourself on the back like we have it all together, but but you wouldn't be here if you didn't want what's real. Yeah. And I believe that that message is actually going out farther beyond even this this place. And I want us to have some time of intercession now. I want us to join up in groups. If you're if you're one of the prayer leaders, if you lead a prayer meeting, would you would you stand up? Put your hand up if you lead one of the prayer meetings. I know we're missing several people here tonight, so that we let's also get any staff in the room, any elders in the room, um, and let's just let's just begin to gather around. Let's get in groups of five, ten, up to fifteen, and we're gonna take about ten minutes and just have an intercession time. And we're just gonna we're just gonna go for it in prayer, just as a way of setting the course for the year, setting the tone for the year. gather up in some groups. And as you do, I just want you just to begin to lead out in prayer. Let's just take these next 10 minutes and just begin to intercede and pray for our year. Pray for whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to pray for, but pray in response to the message, pray in response to to the word, pray for the church, pray for this church, pray for the region. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Father, we we just give you this time. Father, we give you this time and I ask for your Holy Spirit to lead us in prayer right now. Father, Lord, as a a house of prayer, Lord, as a corporate prayer, as a corporate intercession, Lord, let it begin to flow from our lips right now, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. you not to be shy in your prayers. Just begin to pray out. Just begin to pray out. We can all pray together. 
Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. to take the next three or four minutes in this time now and just I want us to intercede for this region one of our primary calls is to be a house of prayer in this region in a place of intercession and so this is just going to be a, a short exercise in that we'll take more time in prayer in our prayer meetings and even the next several weeks on Sundays of intercession but let's just take the next three or four minutes and intercede specifically for Lancaster County for God's purposes in this region and so Father right now in the name of Jesus God we lift up our voices to you God for Lancaster County God I thank you for this land God I thank you for this region Father I thank you God for your 
your purposes, Lord, that you want to accomplish, Father, right here in this place, God, and in this land, Father. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you visit Lancaster County, Lord, in a fresh way. God, would you pour out your spirit upon this land, God, in a fresh way. Father, would you move, Lord, in your glory, God. Would you break down, Lord, every stronghold, Lord. Would you remove every hindrance, Father. We say, God, you are welcome in this land. You are welcome, God, by your spirit. You are welcome in this region, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Take the next couple minutes and just begin interceding here for this specific region, for Lancaster County. God, to bring cleansing. Father, I thank you that you are removing, Lord, every structure, Lord, that does not align with you and your ways, God. I thank you, Father, that you are bringing cleansing to your house, God. You're bringing purity to your house, God. Lord, you're bringing integrity to your house, God. You're bringing a fresh move of your spirit to your house, Father. next several weeks, Lord, in prayer and in fasting. God, we just, we just give ourselves to you as individuals and as homes, but also, Lord, as a church body to be everything you want us to be, God, in this time, in this year, in this hour, in this region, God. I know you've placed us here for your purposes. So, God, we just, we, we just dedicate ourselves to you afresh. God, to be a house for your glory to be a house for your kingdom. So God, we just say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you. God, I thank you, Lord, even for people having encounters with you in the secret place over these next three weeks. I just really believe that that there's going to be some specific individuals that are going to have encounters with the Lord that are going to be significant encounters as you set aside time in the secret place. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for that, Lord, for meeting with us in the secret place. God, we just set that time aside to wait upon you. And I pray, Lord, for those encounters, those visitations, those fresh baptisms of your spirit, Lord, that release, God, the fruitfulness that you want 
in this time. So God, we just say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you. We follow your voice. We follow your spirit, God. We, we, we say this house belongs to you. We say this church body belongs to you. God, unless you build the house, we labor in vain. I thank you that you are building your house, God. The gates of hell will not prevail. So we just dedicate this time of prayer and fasting to you. We dedicate this new year to you. Be glorified, Jesus. Be magnified. Yeah. And raise us up, God, to arise and shine in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a clap of praise. Thank you, Lord. For more information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com.